A game of rugby takes 80 minutes. That's 4,800 seconds. But it only takes one to win a scrum, to steal a line out, make a break and score a try. One second for a hero to become a legend, for one team to become champions. And it's their line-out that creates the opportunities to score their tries, and that's exactly what happened. He goes wide, and he finds a winger. Oiderman, he's faster than a bald man's haircut. Oiderman, and he gets the try. What a heartbreaker. Welcome to MLR Kickoff. New year, new season, but same Major League Rugby. With your hosts, Dan Power and Pete Steinberg. Hello folks, welcome to MLR Kickoff 2.0, revamped, bigger, better and badder than ever. Dan Power with you alongside the professor, Pete Steinberg. And Pete, it's a new year, but things haven't changed in your world. You're on the road again in Chicago, the windy city. How are you, brother? How was uh, Christmas and the New Year's since we last chatted? Well, um, it's been pretty dramatic, Dan. So uh, we, I don't know if people heard, but we had some wildfires in Colorado and my town was one of the towns that was hit, Louisville. Um, fortunately, our house was spared, but we did have to evacuate. It was a little bit scary for a moment. And uh, um, unfortunately, probably about a thousand homes lost, uh, thousands more not livable. So it's been a little crazy in, uh, in, in, um, in my world, but uh, things seem to be getting back to back together, community really stepping up. And uh, I think it's showing uh, things like this really rebuild your faith in humanity. Yeah, it is sometimes a little sad that it takes a tragedy to bring a community together. But uh, Colorado, I've been through a few of those now. Boulder, not too long ago, some fires. I think it was 18 months ago in Colorado. So it's been a tough run for the state of Colorado, but good people like the Steinbergs taking care of it and making sure it's good. Well, folks, we've got a big show coming up. We talked last time about a little bit of a pivot, and we are going to definitely pivot today as we go back to the beginnings, to the very uh, initial permeations of Major League Rugby. We've got a big show with the Utah Warriors taking center stage. Owner and CEO Kimball Care joins us, as well as one of the OGs from the Warriors, Saya Uhilla, just an all-around great dude and, and probably one of the nicest, scary-looking humans <laughs> I've ever met in my life. But uh, excited to kick things off here, Pete, and start this new MLR kickoff. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're trying to be a little bit different, but also meet the needs of everyone, right? I, I mean, we've said from the start, Dan, when you and I started commentating, I remember um, Dean Howes, the original um, MLR commissioner, and uh, um, when I first started commentating, I reached out to him and said, what's your expectation? And he basically said, we don't have enough rugby fans in America to support a professional league. We need more fans. And so when you commentate, you have to make the game accessible to people that don't know it. And we hope MLR kickoff can be a little bit of that. You know, we we'll, we'll, we hear a lot about how people go to the game and they're amazed by it and they say, this is amazing. Well, we want to sort of show everyone a little bit more about the game so you can come here, you can learn about the game. If you're a rugby fan, you're going to learn some stories. And if you're not a rugby fan, you're going to learn a little bit about the game. And, and Dan, we're still going to have some Professor Breakdown when we get into the season. I'm not going to let that one go. There's going to be some data. There's going to be some stats. There's going to be some equations. We'll be doing some of that, but it'll be right at the end. So for the people that don't want to listen to it, they can, they can like kick off at the end. And of course, here we are, Dan. I see you. You see me. 
Now I'm gonna have to get my hair cut more regularly. I'm gonna have to make I sure know. I'm like careful what I what I wear and all, all that sort of stuff. So it's all ex- exciting times. The makeup budget and the, the hair budget at MLR is gonna get blown out this year. It's gonna be good. <laughs> but I agree, uh, all the rugby propeller heads out there are gonna be excited to step back in the lab with the professor. That's still gonna be a big part of it. But Pete, for me, an important part is the stories. Like I've always been fascinated behind uh, who, what goes into becoming an athlete or what is the life-to-life like for NFL, NBA, like all the other major leagues. And I think there is an appetite for that uh, for Major League Rugby as well. What sets us apart from these other codes and these other games and so unique to rugby gives us a chance to pull back the curtain and let the rest of the world see what makes this the greatest game in the world. Yeah, and, and, and you know, I think that we'll hear a little bit from from Kimball when we talk about that. And, um, you know, I think everyone that we speak to that comes from these rugby backgrounds, and I think, um, you know, Kimball and, uh, um, say, both passionate rugby people, it's the passion that's got us where we are now. It's people sort of putting their hand up and saying, I care about this sport. I think this sport can be great, and I want to be part of its growth. And I think that's both owners coaches players and hopefully we can tell the stories of all of them and fans and fans so so we'll make sure we'll include those guys in it as well absolutely well let's not wait any longer let's jump into our first interview he was there day one if you can believe that and there's some fascinating stories coming out of this one and the Utah Warriors, they were a bounce of the ball away from the final last year. A late LA try to Ryan James knocked them out. But big things coming. I like the setup. I like the people involved with Utah. And one of the main parts is their CEO and owner, Kibble Care. Very happy to welcome the CEO of the Utah Warriors, Kimball Carr. Kimball, welcome to MLR Kickoff. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, before we get into sort of the the story of the league and you were there at the start, um, I have a couple of questions. First of all, you had a pretty good playing background yourself. Talk a little bit about how you found rugby and, and, and what your rugby career was. Well, if we can go back that far to the Stone Ages and, you know, when people were playing with uh, the original, you know, pigskin sort of stuff. But no, listen, I, I I was very fortunate to have picked up rugby when I was at university at BYU. Uh, I was going there to wrestle originally, decided not to do that. Uh, I was fortunate then to go on an LDS mission to Australia, which really drove home that culture of rugby while I was down there. And I uh, came back and uh, played about six years with the U.S. national team. Um, half the time, didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, and I was just fortunate to be around a lot of really good players um, you know, I had some really good experiences traveling the world as a, uh, an Eagle, but also with the collegiate all Americans, you know, some great relationships and friendships with people that, uh, are still in and around rugby today, you know, going from, uh, Jack Clark, Tom Billups to, um, you know, Matt Sherman and, uh, Dan Payne and, you know, Dan Lyle among others. So I, I really consider myself lucky to have been in and around some of America's, you know, more influential rugby people that are still involved with the game today. You know, you talked about going to BYU, going to wrestle and then picking up rugby. BYU is one of the historical powerhouses of of college rugby in the U.S., but Utah itself has a particular strength in rugby. Can you talk a little bit about maybe, you know, why Utah is so strong in rugby? Um, you know, BYU is, 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 is a piece of it, but it's not the only piece. 
No, it's it's multi generational. It's it's one of the more unique uh, rugby communities in the U.S. that I just don't know that people fully comprehend on how rich and deep the rugby community here. I mean, it's uh, it it goes back to even the foundation of a city called Eosepa in the West Desert here in Utah with the Polynesian community that came to Utah as part of that LDS uh, culture. Um, you know, coming here to Utah the late nineteenth century and. Um, but even more so, it, it also has to do with guys like Larry Gelwicks, who many people are familiar with, with the Highland Rugby program back in the 80s, 90s and early 2000s, where, you know, they were a high school powerhouse. Um, and, you know, you've just kind of carried on a lot of those same legacies of high school, collegiate um, and kind of that Polynesian rugby community that's enriched so many lives. Um, there are you know, grandkids that are now pay, playing for the same rugby club that their grandfather played for. And that's just something that you don't see in, in America by and large. You've got uh, some unique situations here in Utah that I, I don't uh, I don't know that you can replicate anywhere else. You know, I think that it's when when people that aren't involved in rugby look at MLR, they might look at the Utah Warriors and say, why Utah? But I think you've explained why Utah, right? That it probably is one of the strongest rugby communities in the States. And so it made sense that that was one of the birthplaces of Major League Rugby. I mean, you were there very early on. Can you talk about sort of when you first heard about a professional rugby league and the potential for Utah to be involved? I think it was Rugby Utah back then as an organization. But talk a little bit about those early days and when you first heard about um, Major League Rugby. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it goes back to almost 2000. 14 and 15 when we began to hear rumblings that america was was looking at professionalizing i mean this was even conversations that we had had when i was a player um with nigel melville when he was um trying to get some things going on in in, in north america with that uh you know the falcons and the hawks and they were trying to do this north american four competition i mean there there's always kind of been this iterative cycle that international rugby has realized that America needs to professionalize it if if the Eagles are ever to, you know, continue to develop and improve. But more importantly, from a commercial perspective, if the game internationally is to to improve, it needs to also have a professional league here in the United States that's viable, sustainable, scalable, all those different uh, things. So um, we were involved in a number of different conversations. Um, you know, we actually had it, it, on our side, it actually began with uh, a conversation um, to in some way, shape or form replicate uh, in the city uh, here locally uh, of West Valley City to kind of replicate uh, what Glendale had done at the time and to utilize rugby as sort of an economic and community development tool for a community that kind of needed a bit of a rebrand and uh, kind of a, a new identity. And so they had approached us about helping them, you know, put together something and and then from there, it just kind of carried over into the conversations that that began to take place with USA Rugby, um, and then with USA Rugby bringing on uh, Doug Schoeninger at the time when they were, um, you know, developing that pro rugby concept. Just to be candid with you, just um, be a little bit more information that you're asking for. But when USA Rugby granted that pro rugby um, you know, license uh, as it were, um, 
there were many in, in, in the community that, and particularly those that have kind of been in and around sports that, that knew that that concept wasn't going to get off the ground. There's never really ever been a monolithic uh, professional sports league that's ever been able to be sustainable and scalable in the United States. Um, even the NFL, MLB, NBA, they're, they're not monoliths. They're not owned by one single uh, person. Uh, you even saw that with the American Alliance of Football. You saw that with some of these other leagues that have kind of popped up, but it just becomes, you know, with sports being so capitally intensive, it's, it becomes so hard to bear and swallow, you know, the losses that yeah. you're going to need to swallow to make it sustainable. And so um, that's where we began to realize, okay, if this is going to get, if, if there really is momentum building, <clears throat> then we need to make sure that the business model itself is put together in a way that it's going to be sustainable and not, you know, end up, caving in on itself like uh, like pro. Um, so that's when we began to put together the conversations uh, to, to put together Major League Rugby and, and look at the single entity business model that we did. So, you know, a, a group of um, a group got together. And of course, Glendale is um, in the outskirts of Denver and is a city that's really invested in rugby. So replicating that makes a lot of sense if you want to rebrand. But when you look at the, um, uh, you know, some some groups get together and they say, yeah, we're going to, we're going to do this. Like, and then it's like, okay, rugby Utah form a team. Like, what did you do first? Like that's like, that you're building something out of nothing. Right. So what, yeah. when, when, when you looked at your plan, like, how did you, what did you feel like you had to get in place for it to, for Utah to be a place for MLR? Well, you, you know, the, there's, there's two things there to answer that question. And the first is, um, you know, we knew that if Utah was going to have a professional team in any sort of professional league in the U.S., it needed to be involved from the get-go because, um, you know, we're a small market. We're, we're not, you know, right on the edge. And I think for the most part, if people would look at Utah, they wouldn't really recognize the abilities and the strengths that it has in order to be able to, you know, muster something like what we've been able to muster. Um so we knew that we kind of needed to be involved from the ground floor. Uh, that was one thing. The, the second thing was um, you, you can't have an investable asset as a team without a, without a league that's investable. So really, as I kind of have said from, from day one, you, you can't have um, – you're not going to be able to build a team unless you have a league that, that can show that it's going to be sustainable over the long term. I mean – uh, I, th I think that the MLR concept and business model has sort of proven itself out in that regard because we brought on, we've gone from seven initial teams of people that didn't really know what the hell they were doing to uh, 13 members that have, you know, some pretty prestigious pedigrees and, and business um, uh, sports and entertainment business uh, investments as, as part of their portfolio. So it's not like, um, you know, we're, 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 we're making this up as we go. Uh, I mean, I know we are kind of building the plane as we fly it. That's two, two very separate and different conversations, but um, you, you know, I think the model itself where uh, we knew that if, if, if Utah was going to have a team, it needed to have a league that it could reside within, but that league needed to have the legs to be able to financially be uh, investable and sustainable. Um, when, when you look at the first season, you know, what was the, um, 
what was the 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 thing that was surprisingly easy and what was the thing that was surprisingly difficult oh man and you know i mean going back to some of the meetings that we had um you know, I remember our first commissioner, Dean House, who was kind of a mentor of mine, but also just a good, close personal friend. Um, I, I remember him saying things like, uh, uh, th this is this is a heavy lift. And I don't think you guys fully comprehend really how heavy of a lift this is. Um, and looking back now, um, I, I think it's a good thing that I didn't know at the time how hard this was going to be. Uh, not only personally, but also just as, as a group and as an organization, uh, what we've been able to do. Uh, I mean, there's countless sleepless nights and there's just unbelievable pressure from, you know, in, in investment dollars to partners, to sponsors, to, you know, to, to try to get a, a new team started in an established league is one thing. But then to start a new team and a new league at the same time, I mean, that's just a whole separate, separate ball of wax. And. And, and I don't think we even knew, you know, us, Houston, Glendale, uh, Austin, New Orleans, and Seattle even knew what that meant at the time. Um, right. We all were committed to each other and we, we, we knew that we wanted to do this together because we believed that the time was now to make professional rugby have a chance here in the United States. Um, you know, so I, I think that's the biggest thing is we just didn't know how hard it was going to be personally and professionally for all of us. But, um, you know, looking back, one of the, you know, the, I, I don't want to say the easier things is just how readily uh, this sport just helps people fall in love with, with, the, with the game itself. I mean, it, it, it's kind of weird to say this, but um, I mean, yeah, we need to have all of the, uh, the event production and everything else, but really, as we all know, rugby speaks for itself. It, it, you know, people, They'll come to games and, and they've been doing this ever since I was a player and a coach and administrator, you know, what have you in the game. People will say for the first time, I didn't know what the hell was going on, but I loved it. Right. And, and that's the power of this sport. And that's why I believe in this product and this sport, because it, it's such an amazing sport and what it can do and what it can translate to to the American um, you know, sports fan. Now, one of the things that you have is you have maybe the best backdrop in world rugby for your stadium. Can you talk a little bit about the relationship that you have um, with, I think it's Real Salt Lake and, and, and the access to the stadium and how important that's been? Because, you know, having been there, it is absolutely stunning. And um, you're one of the places that I think creates a real genuine atmosphere when, um, when your crowd um, comes into that stadium. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It, it's, listen, to be honest with you, I think we kind of uh, got lucky um, you know, we didn't really have a place to play. And fortunately for us, the, 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 the current, the, the owner of, of Real Salt Lake at the time, Deloy Hansen, who's now just had to sell to, uh, the new owners of Dave Blitzer and, and Ryan Smith. Um, Deloy Hansen was looking to build this academy facility out in Harriman and they were building a 5,000 seat stadium there as part of their USL, uh, Monarchs team. Um, and, and trying to look and identify places that we could play that was the one that was at the top of the list. And, you know, we were just fortunate to have a good relationship with those folks and, and uh, they've been supportive from day one. In fact, I would dare say that we wouldn't be here without that partnership with Real Salt Lake. They needed to program the facility. They needed to kind of bring in additional eyeballs and butts, you know, so 
Um, it's been a good thing for us. It's been a good thing for them. Um, we could hope to continue that partnership in the years to come. Now, you know, Utah has maybe one of the most American flavors as a team. It has an American head coach. It appears that when Eagles leave their teams, many of them end up going to Utah. It, it, you have, you know, a general manager that is um, like Brandon Sparks, who's like, you know, very well connected in college. You probably scout the college game better than anyone else. You have great local playing talent, right? So you, you know, one of the few places that you probably have MLR quality players that are local. Can you talk a little bit about when you first started? Was that, was, was the goal to sort of be, you know, to have a strong American flavor, to have it be an American place? Or, or, or is that just something that kind of happened because of the best resources <laughs> players that were available? You know, that's a good question. And candidly, I'll, I'll be completely honest with you at the outset. I, you know, I, I couldn't tell you that we had a, you know, a specific uh, formula that we thought we needed to have. I did want to lean in towards, I did want the Warriors to always lean into, um, you know, developing local and domestic talent. And that's something that we take a lot of pride in. You know, we've got, we've had a number of guys that graduated from Utah, BYU, that have come up through the, the uh, men's club divisions here, like Joe Mono, Logan Tago, um, you know, among others that have that have progressed through the the Eagles ranks, and you know, we're fortunate to to have a, a staff that we believe uh, is able to articulate well with the the current and and you know upcoming Eagles, you know, like Mikey Teo and Mika and others. So, uh, you know, I think candidly, when we decided to to bring on Brandon, um, that's when we really began to kind of formulate what that strategy was going to look like. And we believe that our strategy is going to be different from other people's. And that's what's going to set us apart. And that's what's going to be able to help us be successful uh, by leaning into that domestic strategy more so than other teams. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to need to go after the, the top tier internationals in specific positions, goals, whether it be from a leadership perspective or, um, you know, some type of uh, key position because uh, there's just not a lot of six foot eight locks walking around America that know how to pass a rugby ball. Right. Um, right. You know, so th there's going to be those types of positions that you're going to need to have to look at. But that doesn't mean that you don't start building the grassroots and the pathway and the foundation elements that will eventually begin to, you know, widen our opportunities, uh, not only locally, but also uh, domestically overall. So, um, yeah, our, our strategy right now and, and will be for the foreseeable future is to lean heavy into the American rich talent that we believe is out there and providing them with the opportunity from the time that they're six all the way up till they can potentially, you know, put on the Warriors four stripes. Um, well, you know, Kimball, that's great. And uh, um, I think that you're, you're right that you're seeing fruits of, of your labor. And I think USA Rugby is benefiting from it. I have one last question. I appreciate your time. You know, as you go into this season, Right. So we talked a lot about the past, but as you go into this season, you had a great season last year on the field, made it into the playoffs. Very exciting team, very exciting games. If you took out performance on the field, what would be the important goals for the organization this year? Uh, you know, that's pretty easy. I mean, we've outlined those and that's just to continue our professionalization across the, the, the organization. And, and that means you know, like this year, um, you know, progressing to uh, a team that is, you know, full-time professional uh, as opposed to in the years past, we still have had guys needing to to work a day job. I mean, that's kind of no 
don't think that's a hidden secret amongst, you know, you know, rabid MLR fans that some of these guys still need to provide for their families. But we're, we're now progressing in that in that uh, that direction to be able to become a fully professional outfit like uh, like some of the other teams. Um, but, you know, also off the field um, in our front office, you know, growing from uh, kind of a part time and, uh, you know, consultant based staff to a full time. And we've, we've now got 13 to 14 full time staff in the front office, helping from marketing to ticket sales to game day operations to corporate partnerships and everything else. So, I mean, it, it's becoming real. And that's something that we need to continue to develop and evolve. And that's good for not only the Warriors, but for the MLR, because we're all in that same um, you know, we're all kind of in that same uh, boat you know, where we're trying to mature and develop and, and evolve. And uh, that that's the key thing for us is results aside, we need to show progress on and off the field of our maturity and our growth as an organization um, in terms of our professionalization and specialization. Well, I think back, you know, if you think all the way back to the start when you were having those meetings, and, you know, you look now, I think it, it is a different world. I, I think that pioneers like yourself and, and other people that, that were involved with uh, the Utah Warriors early on have, have, have already built a tremendous legacy with this league. And it wouldn't exist without people who have the passion and, and the commitment of people like yourself. So, you know, I, just, just on behalf of the fans that are out there, I want to say thank you. I also want to say, you know, on behalf of MLR Kickoff, Thank you so much for giving us um, your time today and sharing your stories and good luck this season. Well, thank you. And just a closing thought, you know, I, I know you're thanking me, but I mean, at the end of the day, uh, two, two quick comments. I, the Warriors wouldn't be here without our great rugby community here in Utah. And I don't think the MLR would be here without the great community that we have here across the U.S. And I think that sometimes goes a little bit unrecognized and, and uncommented on because... Uh, there's so many people that have made rugby what it is here in the U.S. And we're now progressing from an amateur-based uh, community to a professional-based one. And that sometimes is, is a little bit uneasy and awkward for some. But for all of us, uh, I think we all just need to acknowledge that we're all standing on the shoulders of those who have gone on before. And, and we're just grateful for the opportunity to kind of carry the ball forward how we can during the time that we have. So thank you. Great way to finish, Kimball. Appreciate it. All right. Cheers, guys. One day when the 30 for 30 comes out on Major League Rugby, what are some of the stories that we're going to hear that are not open to the public? And the napkin one is a brilliant one as well, that how many great ideas, how many billion dollar ideas were written out on a napkin first, Pete? Yeah, and, I, you know, it was really interesting to hear Kimball talk about the early meetings. I mean, there, there wasn't really anything, right? There were people that were there that were just saying, hey, you know, for a while, we've been talking about um, professional rugby. Um, in the States, it's something that's needed. And a few teams got together and said, we think we want to do this. And um, if it wasn't for the pioneers that said that and took the risks, and it was very risky back then. I mean, there's still certain risk to it, but now there's a little bit more of a foundation. But back then, it was literally like, we're going to try it and we don't know what's going to happen. And it's great to hear Kimball sort of share his perspective and his feelings about about those times and a little bit you know I, I thought what was interesting Dan is you know when we look at Utah now what we see is a, a you know a very American centric American head coach um, both coaches played for the U.S. Eagles um, an American general manager um, an American CEO 
it appears, you know, and I said this to Kimball, right? It, it appears that like whenever one of the Eagles becomes free and we hear about it, they go to Utah. It was interesting to hear that, you know, while there was always something there for them that about developing American talent in particular with the great player pool they have in Utah, um, that wasn't real. like, it was literally like, no, we just have to run a team and we have to run a league. Um, and it was interesting to hear that Brandon Sparks and that selection was sort of where, where they really said that's the way that they're going to go. And I think, I think Utah is an interesting model. And I think, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a model that was successful last year and hopefully will be successful in the future. Yeah, and, and Kimball, very modest guy, and I hope he doesn't mind me sharing this. You talk about risk. I think no one risks more than Kimball Care to get MLR off the ground and the Utah Warriors. Um, one day, you know, it may come to light just the, the amount of risk that he put into that franchise. And I'm glad guys like that are involved, to be honest, because, you know, you want that invested, you know, roll the sleeves up, let's get dirty, let's get this done kind of ownership. So I love the Warriors, love calling all of their, their games throughout the years as well. And then they were so exciting last season. And I think they're building something special this season. One of the guys who was there day one as well, uh, you know, comes from a proud rugby family, from the, the kingdom of Tonga, made his way over to Salt Lake in uh, in his 20s, I believe he started getting that way, started in California, but found a home in Salt Lake. And he's really become, uh, I'm going to have to put on my raspy voice there, the godfather of the Utah <laughs> playing roster. Uh, honestly, one of the nicest guys, you hear some phenomenal stories and I hope we can dig into them a little deeper here, but Sayo Hiller, He'll, he'll close in very quickly on 50 caps in MLR. He'll be a part of a, a select group. He'll join teammate Angus McClellan, actually, who's, uh, who's got there, and Sam Windsor, the OG out of Houston. But closing in just eight games away from 50 caps. And honestly, one of the nicest, friendliest human beings in one of the scariest packages you'll ever meet, folks. Let's bring him in, Sayo Hiller. So, Sayo um you hello it is great to have you welcome to mlr kickoff my pleasure thank you guys so i want to start with where you're from you're from um a rugby hotbed of the world the uh um, island of tonga so let's start by telling us a little bit about what rugby is in tonga and how important it is to the community um, yeah, I mean, rugby is, is, is pretty huge back in Ireland, you know. Uh, again, it's one of the main sport in, in the island. And for a lot of us, uh, youth and stuff, some of us is kind of a way out from the islands and stuff and try to be a better uh, rugby player and stuff, hopefully get picked by, you know, some other club from overseas and stuff like that. And then, yeah, try to have a future with it, so. And, and rugby is a family sport for you, right? You have other members of your family that, that, that play rugby? Yes, definitely. So I have uh, some uncles and, you know, uh, and stuff that they were uh, great rugby players in the past. And also within, you know, my own uh, household. In fact, my little brother, he was, you know, um, playing for the Hurricanes and then, uh, now it's in France. A lot of people know him by uh, the name of Tongan Bear. Uh, Tongan Bear. So. <laughs> Tongan Bear. Now, how little is he? Uh, not very little. <laughs> right. <laughs> he was probably little once, but right now, I can't imagine many members of your family being that little. Let's be honest. 
Yeah, yeah, he's a little bit shorter than me and stuff, you know. Like, uh, me and him used to box it out back when we were a kid, but I don't think I can do it these days. He's, he's, uh, he's a bit more professional at boxing than I do. So. <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's that's funny. Now, now you you actually left Tonga and you came to Southern California. Why did you make that move? Because that wasn't for rugby, right? No, 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 no. My dad was over there, and uh, so. I just came and uh, worked with him uh, pretty much. And uh, yeah, just stayed with him, just doing uh, construction and uh, work with the, uh, at a restoration company doing disaster cleanups. So. And, 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 and were you playing rugby when you first came over? Uh, back in the island, yeah, I was just playing rugby at high school. But when I came here to America, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something that I look, look forward to to come here and play rugby because I just didn't know how big rugby here in America. And plus, uh, I didn't know anybody that played rugby around the neighborhood where I was. Um, but but you did end up getting hooked up with Oceanside, right? So you ended up playing some rugby when you are in Southern California, but it wasn't a large part of your life. So talk a little bit about the recreational rugby you played back in Southern California. Yeah, when I, uh, when I was staying in, uh, in Oceanside, uh, a cousin of mine that was in the uh, um, in the uh, Marine Corps, you know, he would always come out on the weekend and stuff, and you know, tell me like, "Hey, let's go play some rugby." And I was like, "What the heck? Is anybody play rugby? It looks like everybody, uh, you know, over here is surfer." <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> I didn't know he he already knew, you know, some of the players and stuff that plays for the uh, Ocean Side uh, Chiefs, and that's how I link up with uh, with them. So, so you come over, not even thinking about rugby. A cousin gets you to play a few games. You're kind of playing on the side, but then you leave Southern California and you come to Utah. So, talk a little bit about that transition and maybe how you found rugby in Utah. Yeah, so I just uh, when I moved from uh, from Southern California, I actually went up to uh, Northern California to San Francisco. Uh, you know, rugby was a little bit more active over there with you know. Uh, uh, club rugby. When I, I that's the first time I heard of uh, uh, is it Golden Gate? Yeah, Golden Gate rugby. But I ended up playing with the uh, East Palo Alto Bulldogs in San Francisco, and then I moved from there here to Utah. You know, I um, my dad left, uh, went back to the island and stuff, and then things I couldn't really afford anything over there, so I had to move out here to Utah. I got a job over here, and I just. When I came here to Utah, I realized that there are a fair amount of Polynesian over here, you know, and of course, when you know that there's a lot of uh, Tongans and Samoans around the area and stuff, you you know very well that there's got to be some rugby somewhere. It's, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, you know. The it's like part of the culture, there. right? It's like part of the yeah. bonding. It's part of like yeah, yeah, what brings much. Pacific Islanders together. Yeah, pretty much. And then I just, you know, play a couple games and stuff like that and, uh, yeah, and that's how I met Kimball. So, so Kimball Carr, the, the CEO, also on the show this week, um, like meets you at a practice. But talk about what happens when the Utah Warriors is being formed. You're one of the OGs. You're one of the guys that was there at the start. Like, what happened? Did you get a phone call? Were you offered a contract? Did you think about it? Did you jump at it? Talk a little bit about how you made that first step to being a professional rugby player. Yeah, I got a, I got a phone call from Kimball, you know, with the invitation of being a part of the Utah Warriors, you know. At first, I was just excited to be a part of the team. I was just excited to play, 
to play rugby and kind of like thinking, oh my gosh, this is like major league rugby. It's going to be a professional league. So it's one step, uh, it's like a one step above, you know, club rugby. Um, And I was just too excited. At the time, I didn't really worry about, uh, you know, the salaries, the salary cap and stuff like that. I was like, oh, hell yeah, I get to play rugby. So. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you know, the step from being a recreational player and, and you know, the, the rugby in, in um, Utah is very good. The club rugby is very good, right? Um, but it's still, there's a big step in sort of like how you look after yourself, preparation. Talk about your first preseason and your first experiences and how you manage that transition. Oh, yeah. The first, <laughs> the first uh, experience with, you know, with, the uh, major league first preseason and stuff like that was to me was a nightmare not like uh by any means but the fitness and getting into like preseason training and stuff like that you know i was like i look around in the room and uh, uh the first time we had everybody come in from everywhere you know some of them were uh international players then you got to look around the room like oh my gosh like i'm glad i'm here but at the same time i'm look- looking forward to the training and stuff. In fact, when we were doing our first Bronco, you know, I thought to myself, I'd rather die than continue with it. <laughs> <laughs> but by then you'd sign the contract, right? You, you would have to do it. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Um, I was already logged in, so there's no turn back around. So, <laughs> Well, you know, it's, it's funny because in the Bronco, you turn back around all the time. It's like multiple sprints over and over again. It's the, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a, well, now you're a senior player. Do you still have to run the Bronco or can you have a little twinge in your hamstring coach so you don't have to do it? No, no, no. I still have to run it, you know, and I'm still struggling from season one to, you know, <laughs> season and I'm still, yeah. So first season as a professional rugby player, you've got players from around the world, you've got internationals. Who were some of the most, who were some of the players that impacted you in that first season when you were learning to be a professional? I think the, uh, the 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 player that stand out to me was Fetzwa Nicolo. You know, when he uh, um, when he came here and stuff, I already knew he's. You know, uh, there were nobody at the time within the squads and stuff that has been. You know, they have done what he had done. You know, civil rug from civil rugby to um, uh, playing for you know in the World Cup and and all sorts of test matches and stuff like that. So, I pretty much have to you know, learn some tips and uh, things from him as far as uh, the game goes and also tips for recovery, um, just knowing that he's been through it all, so. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's one of those things when foreign players come in, they, they bring they bring that experience, right? And it's it's a way of being a shortcut to, to, to enhancing your game. So first season for the Utah Warriors, you're a professional rugby player. You're, you're starting to travel around the country and play games. What what are some of the memories that you have that you'll tell your grandkids? Some things that like have stuck with you in that first year, like things that just blew your mind away around that first experience? Um, yeah, it's just like, I, I think for me, is noticing that you are in, in a professional um, environment, you know, and like, you pretty much have to change a few things, the way you eat, you know, uh, your sleeping schedule and stuff like that to fit in with your recovery time and everything else. So, uh, and then just, you know, hanging out with the boys and stuff like that. I think that's something that I will, 
um, yeah, I'll never forget. It's, you know, different players are coming in and stuff, and you're just kind of trying to build a family with uh, strangers, pretty much. So. Yeah, and especially with a new team when you basically have to build a culture from nothing, right? There's There wasn't yes, a culture absolutely. before, and now you have a team. And, and, and you know, it's that's a, a pretty unique experience in rugby because normally you join a club that's been there for a while, and oh, now wow. it's going to be, you know, and now it's brand new. So it's interesting. Um, you guys have a beautiful stadium, right, with a great oh. backdrop, yeah. and you have very passionate home fans. What was it like to run out for the first time at a home game? in Salt Lake City? Uh, it was, it, you know, it's something special to me because I would never dream of in a million years running out a tunnel with, you know, a fair amount of people coming in to support rugby, especially, you know, with the first year of the game here in Utah, it's like, you know, super fresh. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, a special feeling, uh, you know, from, from that day. And even to this, to this day, as you see, um, you know, the league progress and stuff like that. It's, you know, it's still the same feeling coming out the, the tunnel and just look at the people who are there to support you. And, you know, and also the young, uh, the young generation, uh, generation, that's the thing that, that always catches me, you know, so. Yeah, I think, I think that's, uh, um, you know, it's, it's interesting being there at the start, you know, here you are, you've got 40 plus caps, 40 appearances for the Utah Warriors in Major League Rugby. There's only a couple of people that are, have more than you. One of them is um, Angus McClellan, the tight head prop, who I think may have played every game that the Utah Warriors yeah. has played. So, so I don't think you're going to be able to catch him up unless unless you kind of like you know he gets an injury. But nevertheless, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's going to be a big honor coming up for you this season, hopefully to be able to get to that 50. So let's reflect a little bit on the journey of the Utah Warriors. In that first year, you made the playoffs and they had a pretty credible game in the semifinals against Glendale. Um, last year, you made the playoffs again. But in between, a yeah. a, you know, from an outside perspective, a frustrating team that had the talent, right, that could on its day be anyone in the league, but on another day lose to anyone in the league. It destroyed my prediction scores, as Stats Boy will tell you. That like I would be like, oh, this is the Utah team that I can see. Let me pick them next week, and 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 they they wouldn't do it. So talk a little bit about what's different from the last couple of years to what happened last year, um, in in terms of just Utah being able to really be more consistent with the talent that it has. Um, yeah, I think it has a. It has to do with, you know, probably a few things with, probably, uh, um, with a few things coming into the, to the league. I know the first year was only like a fair amount of teams that they were playing um, in, in the first year and stuff. But coming into second and third, um, to me, it was it feels like, you know, it's because some of us work, you know, still have, have a full time job and then have to turn into rugby 100 percent and stuff. And, and, and I know there was. At some point, there was a lot of players that were injured through the injury and stuff. Where we kind of having that bit of a roller coaster with it with our season, and pretty much we were still trying to, you know, to figure out the the team culture where we can find a connection with each player. Because I think that's what it is. Like you, you one player is injured, then you're trying to find somebody that will connect with the, you know, with the team and stuff like that. And that what causes that, but. Our coaches, you know, um, with the, the staff that we have now, I think they, you know, they really know what they're doing. They really care for the boys, trying to make sure everybody's recovering better, 
taking care of themselves and stuff like that. So we can still turn into training 100% and perform the best we can. Um, yeah. So, and that makes a big uh, difference, which we all see this past season. Um, Utah was pretty much the team that you really don't want to flink on. So, Yeah, and, and it, was, it was interesting because you talked about injuries in the previous years, but what really helped Utah make the playoffs was the bench, right? Was the fact that they would have you know, eight players on the bench that were starters and it allowed you to finish games. And it was like, I mean, I don't know the the two Sean's that were coaching both former Eagles, both relatively new to coaching. When you first start coaching, you live every moment. I mean, they must've aged a little bit because of all of those last minute stuff. I mean, what was it like? How did you guys, I mean, did you just believe you were going to win? It didn't matter. Like, it just felt like it didn't matter whether you were down. You always knew you were going to win at the end. Is that what it felt um, like? You know, uh, ever since, the, you know, LinkedIn and these two came in, Sean and Sean, you know, there was a different bond between players and coaches, you know. Um, and I remember exactly, you know, at one point, uh, they, they asked me, you know, what do I think, like, what would be best for the boys and stuff. And, you know, I honestly, because I'm – I'm that type, you know, I just tell it how it is. And so, you know, the best thing we can all do is just to be honest with each other. You can be honest with the players as far as feedback and everything else. And I'll tell you, these players will deliver when it's time to deliver. And that's what happened this past season. You know, we have a special connection with these two. You know, they know how to have fun during training and they know how to, you know, to switch it back to like, you know, being serious and stuff. And that's one thing that I was impressed with is them knowing it. Like a lot of times people think, oh, so-and-so on the bench, what's going on, you know? But nowadays, even with Super Rugby, the All Blacks, you think about those teams, you know, the bench is just as good as the first string, as the starters. So that's the thing about these coaches. They know when to put in your players, and they know what each players can bring in and what, you know. Uh, and, and that's exactly, I think, that was the secret. We just came in the last 20 minutes, the last... It doesn't matter. 2010, we closed the game. So we can either win teams in the beginning or we will definitely catch up in the, you know, in the last 10, 20 minutes. So don't sleep on us. <laughs> well, it definitely made um, it like, like it made Utah a must watch game every week. Like, you're just like, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be high scoring. Yeah, it's great. great. And it's interesting to hear the coaches re- reach out to you because when we, you know, you have shared your, your journey to, to, to professional rugby. And now here you are, one of the team leaders of a professional rugby team in Utah. Like, like when you reflect, what is it that makes you a great leader? What is it that makes you someone that people can follow? Uh, you know, I won't, uh, I won't say I'm like great, that great of a leader. I'm still learning myself. You know, I'm still, I'm still learning as well. Um, but one thing for me is, you know, just, caring for the players, care, caring for my teammates, you know, in the, in the beginning of the season and stuff where management's still trying to figure out housing and stuff for everybody. Sometimes the players come in and we haven't found a place for them. So I'll take them in because those are just things that us, you know, Polynesian do. Like you see a stranger, you offer them something like, or everybody should do. Um, yeah, it's just, you know, those small things, just making sure that they are taken care of. If there's anything I can help with, I was, you know, it, it don't matter for me. Um, and oh, just, no. just with me, I mean, even with the being 
you know, one of the oldest players in the squads and stuff. I, I'm still bringing myself down to a point where I'm willing to learn from an 18-year-old, you know, uh, and the oldest in the team. So it doesn't matter if I've been there 50 or 100 cap, I still have to come down to my knee and have learn from, from everyone else. So. Um, you know, so here you are about to embark another season of Major League Rugby. You reflect on the journey you you have. What would you go back and say to the young sire that started in 2018 at the start season or the young player that's starting now? What have you learned that you would like to share with them? Uh, you know, what I've learned so far is just, uh, just, just being there to learn. You know, I remember my first day with the Utah Warriors, you know, and I got select. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to play for the Utah Warriors. You know, I'm... I, I, you know, one of those things are, yeah, I'm good, you know, but then when you get there, you realize with that environment is different. There are a lot to learn, you know, even to this day, I'm still learning. So there are, there are a lot of things to still, uh, to learn. And that is my advice to, you know, the younger players who are in the, uh, in the league at the moment, or those who want to be a part of the MLR is when you come in, just be a sponge. That's all I tell, you know, some of our selects, the best, advice I can give is just be a sponge. A sponge, you just absorb as much as you can, you know, and then just when the time's to apply, which is on the field, then you'll be the only players who will shine the most because you're just there trying to do your work, grind day in and day out. So, yeah. Well, that's great. That's great, great advice. I love the idea of growth, right? It sounds like, you know, you're someone that's still wanting to grow, want to grow as a leader. You want to grow um, as a player, and I think that's a, that's a great message. I want to thank you for your time. We had some technical issues. You you stuck with it, and I just want to call that out. Um, uh, uh, I think you're going to gain some fans on this, so I, I think people are going to be really rooting for you. So um, good luck to you, and good luck to the Utah Warriors this season. Thank you very much. Cheers. And, Pete, obviously – Rugby teams, uh, and you've coached at a high level for a long time. It's it's a mismatch of personalities. Uh, coach, sometimes referred to as a father figure, but inside the playing group, you need that dominant figure as well. And I don't think there's any more dominant father figure in Utah than Sire and the role he takes in mentoring and bringing along that that culture and that roster. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a very strong, um, you know, Pacific Island background in Utah, uh, you know, Kimball, Kimball talked about it. And I think it's interesting to truly understand, you know, the kingdom of Tonga, it's this tiny place, but guess what? It produces really good rugby players. And, um, you know, uh, hearing about his background and, and his family and, and what brought him over here. And then you're right. It is, it, you know, a very humble guy, but someone I think that people look up to and, and one of those, you know, leaders that lead by example. Right. And so I, I think it's great to hear those sorts of stories, Dan, about the people that have traveled around the world, come here, but not, you know, didn't come here to play professional rugby, right. Came here to make a home. Um, and then, you know, professional rugby happened to be here. So I think that's, uh, um, you know, such a great story. Yeah, and there's a few like that as well out of the Warriors, I think, which makes them so appealing to, to old fans and new fans. Like Tanata Lauti was just kind of hanging out and it's like, hey, I might try out for this rugby team and was the leading <laughs> try scorer uh, in, in one year in MLR. So there's, there's great stories like that coming out of the Warriors. But all right, folks, you've held on, you've waited patiently, you rugby aficionados, here it is. Time to get the glasses out, the pocket squares. 
I can say that because I wear glasses. Let's jump into the lab. It's the professor's breakdown. And we're going for new fans here as well. There's going to be some intricacies, but there's also going to be some foundations. New fans that come to a rugby game. Pete, break it down to me. When I go and watch an NFL game, I see an offensive line, a defensive line. I see my quarterback, my receivers, tight ends, running back. Everything's structured and I can see it. I come to rugby and it just seems like a mess to me. So let's start offensively. Explain attack to me in rugby. Well, I mean, I think there's, you know, we we all know that we know in the rugby community that rugby is the um, father of football. Uh, basically, you know, rugby came over in the um, late 19th century. The Americans said, hey, we like this game, but we want to change it a little bit. And so, um, and it really was revolutionized with the forward pass. But there's, there is a lot of similarities, not even, you know, just the word touchdown. So you have to touch the ball down. That's, a, that's the most obvious one. But there are actually a lot of similarities. In, in rugby on attack, the, a couple of things that you really have to think about, Dan, is that you always have to be on your side of the ball to be able to play, right? So, so you always have to be on your side. That means that you always have to be behind the ball, which is why people line up in a line where you can lateral and pass it backwards, right? Because no one's allowed to be in front of the ball. That's what's called offside. And so if you have to be behind, the only way you can transfer it is if you pass it laterally or, or behind. And that's why you set it up. The other thing that you need to do on attack is you need to create space. And the way that you create space is, the, is by creating collisions, right? And so you'll see people take the ball and they'll run into the defense. And they'll run into the defense because tackles attract defenders, Right. So if I run, in, run into the defense, the defenders will actually squeeze around that space and that creates space somewhere else. So when you look and you're like, all right, there's all these guys standing away from the ball. They're not getting it. Right. What's going on? But the guys with, with the ball are running into someone. What they're trying to do is they're trying to attract defenders to create space for the people that are wide. So you'll see that alignment when people are wide. You'll see people taking the ball in um, to be able to create that space. And that's fundamentally like what what uh um what rugby attack is it's about creating space um it's about manipulating the defense and it's about making sure that you hold on to the ball and you keep possession so you would compare it to an rpo in football i think i think i'm trying to run in to create a diversion and then play off that i so i i actually think that there's probably some similarities in football in, in 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 the sense that like if you think about football in a series, right, what you'll see is that people will run it close, but they'll do that to, you know, attract the um, linebackers. And then they'll um, they'll fake to that run to be able to create space so they can throw it somewhere else. So there's definitely that sort of um, idea that we do something to manipulate the defense to be able to attack them in other places. Of course, the biggest thing and the thing that actually I think Dan, Dan looks like the biggest mess is that in football, when a tackle happens, the game ends. And in rugby, when the tackle happens, there's actually a contest for possession. And so because you come from your own side, um, the only people that can enter that space where that tackle happens are the people that are from their own side, so a ruck forms. And basically, you try and push the other team off and you bring it back on your side. But that ruck itself is a way of tracking defenders and creating space. I think maybe the thing, Dan, that is... um, uh, even like that, that, that makes the game of rugby really unique um, for the American athlete, particularly those that play football, is that um, everyone gets to be the quarterback. So if I have the ball in my hand, I can kick, I can pass, 
I can run. I have to make that choice. So everyone ends up making the same sort of decisions that a quarterback would make. And it doesn't matter what position you are. And so that ability to have that freedom is what makes it a really difficult game to coach. Because I can't tell a player what to do. I don't know what the defense is going to do. So what I have to do is I have to teach the player what they see and what and how what they see is impact what they should do. And I actually think this is the reason why rugby is just an incredible developmental sport for young kids. And it's a, you know, it's, it's a sport that gets um, uh, the best out of individuals, men or women is because it's all about decision-making and everyone has to be a key decision-maker to be effective. So that ability for the ball carrier to be able to run, pass to anyone, kick anywhere, that, that challenge that every player has, regardless of their size or what their role is or what their position is, I think that's something that's a little bit unique in rugby. Um, and so I think that that's one of the things that makes it such a great game to play. All right. I'm a new fan or I'm a young player, a young athlete growing up, and I've just discovered rugby. Three things fundamentally that I should look at on attack. Oh man, three on things. Okay, on the spot. So, so three things that that you want to you know you want to be aware of. So the first thing is um, it's all about space. So space can be out wide, space can be behind, or space can be in between, right? So you look, and teams will have different strategies. So you have some teams that move it wide, like we talked to the Warriors today. The Warriors were like always moving that ball wide. They were stretching the field. That's where they played, right? But actually, they would often find, because they're stretching it wide, they manipulate the defense and there's space between, right? There are some teams like Atlanta, where they look for the space behind, which is through a kick. So the game of attack is all about space. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is it's about possession and holding onto the ball, right? So you kick, right, you know you're going to give that up, but you're going to gain something. But if you're not going to kick, it's about your ability to hold onto the ball. And then that's the third thing. The third thing is the support, right? So you'll hear a lot that we talk about in rugby where we talk about support. And support is, you know, the emotional support that you have for your teammates, right? But it's also the physical support. So when one of someone has the ball, they always want people around them. And if someone around them doesn't have the ball and they don't have people around them, then they're probably in a bad spot because it means that the tackle's going to happen and they're probably going to lose the ball. So I think if you look at where's the space around, through or over, if you look at hold on to the ball and, and maybe I'll add one thing to this and I know we'll probably talk about this in another one, but that contact point, if I was going to give anyone one thing to talk about when a, someone went into contact, it's are they lower than the tackler, right? So the low person tends to win in contact, um, but the ability to retain the ball and then um, the uh, the concept of support and making sure there are people around the ball. Like, you know, Dan, like as an experienced rugby watcher, you can look and you can see someone gets the ball and they've got no support and you're thinking, oh, they're going to lose the ball. It's going to be a turnover. They're going to lose the ball in the tackle because there's no one there to support the ball carrier. I just want you to know that you're my emotional support. Well, Thank Dan, I can't be the only me. one because you need a lot of it. So I hope you have a lot of um, emotional support um, pet. Is it emotional? Am I your emotional support pet? Yeah. Okay, I just wanted to make yeah, sure. Yeah. I was You're my weighted blanket. Pet. Yeah, <laughs> I'm your I'm your blanket. All right, we're gonna we're gonna finish this for new fans. We're gonna both do this. We're gonna give our top three attacking players to watch in 2022. 
Um, I will Ooh. let you go first. We're going to go one, 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 one. Your top three. So if new fans who don't have an allegiance to a team, they're just tuning in for the first time, trying to figure out who to watch, you go first. Who's your number one player to watch? Well, you know, we're, we're here with, um, you know, we talked to the Utah Warriors today. Hang on. One of the... I'm changed it. I'm going to go first because you're going to say my one. <laughs> okay. I'm going Mikey Teo. Four- oh, come on. Utah Warriors. Oh, come on. He'll wear number 15. He's got long hair. If you look at him, you're like, guy doesn't look like he should be uh, at the back there. But do not sleep on Mikey Teo, number one attacking player in the league this last year. I think he'll continue that trend next year. Pete, who's your number one now? Well, I don't know. I'm, I, I don't think I'm ready to do number one, right? But I want to do people that, that, that people should look out for that maybe they, they don't. And so um, recently in the news is a flanker, um, Hanko Hamases, who was just traded from um, uh, Rugby United New York to the LA Giltinis. And it's going to be really interesting to see him. He is a really, really powerful ball carrier. So he's one of these guys that can run through a tackle, You'll see him go through. But where you'll see him do most of his damage is actually out wide. So he's a flanker. So he's he's a forward. Normally, you don't see the forwards play that wide. But he is out wide, and he is just a devastating ball carrier with the ball in his hands. Yeah. Very different to my number one, right? He's more yeah. bruising and punishing. All right. I'll go same team, LA Giltinis. Billy Meeks, he'll wear number 12, occasion number seven. Let's hope not this year. Inside center. He's more of a subtle, like when you're talking about if uh, if Mikey Tao is my bottle of Dom Perignon, he's just cork popping, flowing everywhere. He's more of a nice full-bodied, you know, red, where he's just a sophisticated, very intelligent attacking player, sleight of hand. He runs great lines for those just starting off. Great lines are like your route running. He runs great routes. He runs good lines. He's a good support player, offload player. I love watching him attack because he is uh, he is cerebral. He's very, very methodical in how he breaks defences apart. I think what's great about, a great choice about Billy Meeks is he actually makes people around him better, right? So, so he isn't often the player that makes the break, but he's the player that makes the pass to the player that makes the break. He's a great decision maker. He can manipulate defenders. That, that's a that's a great one. I, I I have another one, another watch out. A little bit again, a little bit different. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say Kurt Coleman, um, mm-hmm. from from uh, Rugby ATL. And the reason I like Kurt Coleman is because I said, you know, it's interesting. We've talked about like Mikey Teo, who and and um, Hanko, who like to play out wide, right? Billy Meeks, who opens up the space um, in in the middle. And then uh, Kurt Coleman is a player that plays over. He's a great controller of, of the ball, um, of, of the attack with his, with his kicking. So he'll look for space that's wide. He'll look for space that's behind. Um, and he will really manipulate the defense with his kicking. So Kurt Coleman, a very different attacking player, but a guy that I really like to watch. All right. Last one. I got a special affiliation with this guy. And I'm going to go with Connor, the money man, Mooney Ham out of the Austin Gilgronies. Homegrown talent, Texas boy. Just, well, he grew up in California, but we'll call him a Texas boy because everyone loves Texas. I think he's going to be a genuine superstar in this league years to come. He had a few uh, bumps. If, if you guys have been watching the, the Gilgrony special, uh, is it, uh, what's called? Inside the ruck? No. Around the ruck? On top of the ruck? Under the ruck? Through the ruck? 
There you go. There he is. We couldn't get through one without Aaron. He is, uh, he's been one of the stars of that show, and I think he'll be one of the stars of the league. He's just flat-out confident finisher. Like, he just believes in himself, and there's so much to be said for a confident rugby player, ball in hand. Everyone knows that type of player, name the sport. You know, I can't believe I'm going to throw Jordan out there. I'm not saying Connor and Jordan are on the same level, but wants the ball in their hands. Like the big moments, give me the ball, I'll make it happen. And connor has got that kind of feel to him as well for Austin. So he'll be down there with the Gilgronies. He'll be in 14 or 11, plays a little 15 as well, but... Love watching him play. Just a confident, beautiful ball runner. Having a player that can finish is, you know, and very similar to like in football, right? Having having someone that, that can make someone miss and can get over the line is, um, I think, really, really important. And I think that the, uh, um, uh, I, th- I think that it's an undervalued uh, asset you can see that um, Julian Dominguez moved from um, – he went from NOLA to – where did he go? Austin. To Austin. That's right, to Austin. So now they've got two guys. And that's someone that can just – you know, it, they, in, in rugby, the last two meters, two yards, to get over the line is like the hardest – like it's the hardest place to get. Like the defense is really tight. And having some players that can do that – and Austin now have two. I think, I think that's, that's – uh, um, that's amazing. I'm going to, I'm going to go. Um, Aaron wants to talk about Marnano. So Marnano, amazing player, played for the All Blacks a hundred times. Um, he's a center. He has amazing skills. So, I, you know, um, Dan, I talked about how you can go through or you can go round. And there are very few people in the league that can do both of those things at the same time. But Marnano has the passing skills to be able to do that, right? So he can, he can enter and, and attack tight. And still, he has this, you know, amazing passes to be able to still, as as he's engaging the defense and about to hit, hit the defense, he'll throw this long pass and go around, you know, open it up for someone else. But I'm I'm actually going to go with with someone else, and, it, and it, again, a little bit of uh, um, of of uh, uh, a a left field selection is Dylan Fawcett, and and the reason I'm going to go with Dylan Fawcett is that he's one of the top try scorers in the league every year. I think he's, I think he's number one, man. I think number one ever, right? Every ever, year, I think, time, I think, yeah. I think number one ever. But every year he's up there, and the reason he's up there is because he, uh, um, he's the guy that finishes the mall. Now we're going to come to lineouts a little bit later, but basically, um, you know, he is the guy that is able to. Uh, I mean, he throws the ball in, right? You have to catch it, but you 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 have this ability. It's a flying wedge, actually, right? From the old days in football. Um, so it's a, like, it, you know, you have the ability to be able to go through while holding the ball up in a mall and he's able to do that. And, you know, uh, his job is relatively easy once the ball's been caught, but I think it's important to recognize there's lots of different ways to score. Like we've talked about a lot of backs, but forwards get, get to score as well. And like I said, that last two meters before you get over the line is really hard. And setting up a move from a line out and getting over the line is a great attacking platform. And tune in later on for a future MLR kickoff as we dive deeper into the line out. Little well, teaser. If it's anything like the attack one, I can't wait. I feel like I've just got a whole new perspective on attacking. Yeah, yeah just don't, like, like, if you're going to ask me to come up with like the top three line out jumpers in the league, 
then at least like give me some warning and don't do it on the fly. Everyone's oh, like, gotta, you know, the, like, I'm a, I'm, I'm, no, I'm a professional. Like, I want to prep. You're Mr. Like, hey, let's fly by the seat of a pants. And I'm like, I'm Mr. Like, no, no, let's let's really prep here so we can have the right answer. And you're just you're just happy with like uh, a funny answer that has some like, you know, TV or movie related quote to it or, it's, you know, that's the difference. I interviewed uh, 100 professors and you know what the number one trait of being a good professor was? Honesty. And I'm going to get the honest answer out of you if I spring you with it rather than giving you time there to <laughs> think what the right answer is. This way I get the truth. And that's that's the number one. It was 67%. So, and, you know, statistics can be used to prove anything. 30% of people know that. So and there you go, Pete. <laughs> What a great way! What a great way to wrap up the first show of 2022 as well. That's right. Let's no, no, no. Let's 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 just immediately discredit all the future data analytics that we do on MLR kickoff later on in the season because people will just be able to come back and say, "Well, Dan said none of this. Like none of this really matters." Thirty percent of it matters. Hey, hey, of the time. We're less than a month away from the kickoff, right? We're under a month. Under a month. Round one, February fifth. So. Make sure everyone out there, you get on, look at the schedule, see where a home game is, uh, get out to as many games as you can this year. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a great year. I really feel like this is going to be the year that MLR, the, the stadiums, should be you know getting back to normal again here shortly, and it's just going to be exciting times. New yeah, team, I'm... Dallas. Dallas. How nice is their stadium? Did you see their stadium? Yeah. Wowzers, gorgeous. Well, I think, I mean, all the teams, like I think facilities is one of the biggest um, challenges that MLR teams have. And we can see every year teams are upgrading, they're, you know, um, they're, they're finding better facilities to play in, facilities that are better for broadcast, better for fan experiences. And so every time we see that, whether it's, you know, um, you know, whether it's NOLA moving to the gold mine or, um, you know, the Dallas facility, or uh, rugby ATL, like you can see, these guys, all all of the um, all of the teams are looking for better and better fan fan experiences, and so lots of uh, lots of great places to go watch rugby this year. Beautiful stuff, Pete. Great to be back in 2022 with you. Excited for kickoff coming up, like you said, in in under a month now. But um, that'll wrap up. That'll wrap up for the show. Thank you again to the Utah Warriors for allowing us to have Kimball and Sire on the show here. For Pete Steinberg, the professor, Aaron Castro, and the newly welcomed member of the team, who I, I forgot to introduce, we've welcomed in a, a new director as well, and Ryan Ginty. I think most rugby fans will be familiar with Gintz and his involvement with rugby on the television side of things. So great to have him on the team as well moving forward. Pete, love you, buddy. Be good. And looking forward to the next one, some more rugby. Yep. See you next week, Dan.